Well, the first Kingdom Education Summit of the summer is just concluded in Raleigh, North Carolina. I came away from the summit broken, burdened, and more committed than ever before to challenge parents, pastors, and Christian educators to be more intentional in making disciples of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Kingdom Currents. I'm Glenn Schultz, your host, and today I'm actually going to reflect on a couple of blogs I wrote more than a year ago. However, as I pondered the amazing move of God at last week's summit, I was amazed at how what I wrote quite a while ago is still relevant to what we are facing in today's world. You see, several years ago, I went to an event and heard Josh McDowell describe what has happened in our culture over the years. He said that in the early days of our country, there was a Judeo-Christian culture. This was marked by the culture actually supporting the beliefs and values of Christianity. Unfortunately, we drifted into a a post-Christian culture. McDowell explained that this type of culture was one that merely tolerated Christianity. Then he said, we are now living in an anti-Christian culture. An anti-Christian culture is marked by society attacking every belief and value of the Christian faith. Now, there's seldom a day goes by when I don't read an article of how Christianity is under full assault by a totally secularized culture. And let me just share a couple of examples with you. Did you know that if you teach your children a view of history from a biblical perspective, that you are giving your children a skewed view of history and a sense that the country is experiencing an urgent moral decline? In fact, if you are studying history from textbooks written in the context of a biblical worldview, they are being taught with overtones of nativism, militarism, and racism. This is what was presented in an article published by Huffington Post. The article back then tried to attach biblical worldview textbooks to a political ideology. The title and subtitle of the article made this clear. They read, These textbooks in thousands of K-12 schools echo Trump's talking points. Subtitle was, Their religion-centered, anti-democrat, anti-science, anti-multicultural message mirrors the uh, Christian nationalism seen at the U.S. Capitol riot. As I read the article, it was apparent that if you try to look at life through a biblical worldview and not a secular one, you are a danger to society and democracy. Of course, that means that if I teach students from a biblical worldview and use textbooks written from that perspective, I'm an even greater danger to society because I could possibly be influencing the next generation to uh, to come along. And and what the article refers to, I'm I'm getting this next generation to become quote-unquote Christian nationalists. The article inferred that teaching from textbooks written from a biblical worldview leads to the anti-science culture, the anti-elite, the identification of Christianity with a military culture. After reading this article, I was bombarded by reports of what happened when Christians stood for biblical truth and opposed our current president's recent executive orders related to transgenderism. 
Back then, two uh, professors at Christian universities were banned from a social media site because they disagreed with this president's policies on transgender uh, in the military. The reason given for such a ban was that their posts violated the site's community standards on violence and incitement. Then came an article about what happened to a lecturer at another Christian university when she stood on biblical truth when it comes to moral values. This instructor publicly asked the question, what about parents who don't want a biological male in their biological daughter's restrooms? Now, such a question was reason for students at this university to report this instructor to various quote-unquote equity and diversity departments at the university. The article quoted one of the students who made these reports as being, quote, upset because it eliminates another professor as one of our allies, because we have been searching for potential allies and professors for the past 10 years. Now, these are just a few examples of articles that I came across over a period of few days, probably about a year ago, year and a half ago. There is no doubt about it. We are living in Babylon. <laughs> we may not be in bondage geographically, but we are in spiritual and moral bondage to a secular pagan culture. If you publicly take a stand for God, his word, and absolute moral values, you will be attacked. If you stand against such ideologies as CRT, you may be called a racist, white supremacist, etc. Now, if you believe that God created man in his image and he did so as either male or female, well, now you're homophobic or transphobic. If you do these things, it's evidence that we're living in Babylon, which means that we're living in a culture where the only public discourse allowed is that which goes along with the religion of secular humanism. Now, this becomes even a, a greater problem when you consider how the secular culture has taken over the meaning of words. Words such as unity, diversity, science, equity must be defined according to secular thought. If anyone dares to define them in accordance to God's word, he or she is anti-science, a bigot, ignorant, offensive, and or counterfactual. See, the goal is to shame that person to such a degree that it will silence him or her. Now, this is the same strategy that the late postmodern professor, Dr. Richard Rorty, suggested when he addressed a group of university professors. Listen to his words. Secular professors in the university ought to arrange things so that students who enter as bigoted, homophobic, religious fundamentalists will leave the college with views more like our own. Students are fortunate to find themselves under people like me and to have escaped the grip of their frightening, vicious, dangerous parents. We're going to go right on trying to discredit you parents in the eyes of your children, trying to strip your fundamentalist religious community of dignity, trying to make your views seem silly rather than discussable. Now, this shouldn't surprise any of us because you can go all the way back into the early 1900s when Italian socialist Antonio Gramsci wrote, Socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. 
Socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. So the question confronting Christians today is not how to get out of Babylon, but how does God want us to live while we are here? Erwin Lutzer, in his book, The Church in Babylon, which I highly recommend to everyone, rightly states that there are three options for how Christians can choose to live in a pagan, anti-Christian culture. They are, number one, assimilate with the secular culture. Number two, isolate from the secular culture. And number three, engage the secular culture. The reality is that it's impossible today (laughs) to isolate ourselves from today's secular culture. It is all around us, and escape is not possible. This means that Christians will either assimilate into the culture or engage it. Now, Lutzer explained what happened when Israel was taken captive by the Babylonian king. Listen to his words carefully. Most of the Jews just drifted with the cultural flow, not making waves, but living lives that were indistinguishable from the people around them. Unfortunately, today's church, today's Christians, seem to be following the example of these Jews. Lutzer went on to explain why this is so common when he wrote, Spiritual assimilation is always the path of least resistance. It is the most natural and cowardly way to live. It allows the culture to exploit our natural tendency to get along and to get all the world has to offer with only a nod in the direction of the God we say we love. See, God wants us to engage the secular culture. We, we find ourselves here in Babylon. We can't go and say, oh, you know, we want to go back. Well, yeah, we may want to, but here's where we are. But, but what do we do? How do we engage the culture? However, it's an evident that if we do want to engage this culture, we will face persecution. I, I think back to the summit we just had. And here we had over 100 uh, Christian educators and, and, and pastors and some parents were there. And, and we got into some heavy strategy discussions. And we all came away with the sense that we are in, a tense, in an intense battle and we have to be ready for persecution. See, Jeremiah was a prophet who obeyed God and engaged the culture of his day. When engaging the culture, he started by doing so with God's people. He didn't go out to the pagan world. He went to God's own people. And and he started pouring his heart out to the Israelites. He spoke only what God told him to say. And what was the result? Well, again, let me use Lutzer's words because I think he captures it so well. Jeremiah's reward for his faithfulness, well, it could be summed up this way. He was rewarded with slander, mockery, and condemnation by false prophets. Just like today, secular leaders tried to shame Jeremiah into silence. 
Of course, we know that Jeremiah didn't bend under the pressure, and neither can we. It it is difficult (laughs) to to live in captivity to secular anti-Christian culture. Because anytime you speak truth, you you can expect to be criticized or mocked or marginalized. That's the reality. I I can remember again, back a while ago, reading a a Snopes article, uh, Why Creationism Bears All the Hallmarks of a Conspiracy Theory. Now, even though back then Snopes' website said that it has not actually done any work to fact-check the article, they were publishing it because they thought it would be something of interest to its readers. The article stated that young earth creationism can't be ignored because it is, quote-unquote, dangerously opposed to science. The article goes on to warn readers that if you visit websites that promote the biblical account of creation, you will find that, and again I quote, their creationism is completely hostile to science while paradoxically claiming to be scientific. In this article, there is even an attempt to compare creationism with QAnon and the stolen election conspiracy theories that led to the January 6th riots at the Capitol building. The article is another example how the anti-Christian culture of today wants to cancel anything that even remotely hints of the truth of God and his word. See, we have to know how to live in Babylon and stay true to biblical Christianity. And there's a couple of truths that I wrote about a while ago that we must fully grasp in order to remain faithful and steadfast. Again, I I just keep going back to what took place these last few days there at the summit there at North Raleigh Christian Academy. I I wish you could have been there to to see the agony we had in pouring over the current state of the culture and the home and the church and the Christian school, but then the excitement on how, no, God has us here to do something. So here are some truths on how do you live in Babylon? Well, first of all, we've got to answer the question, (laughs) Why are we in Babylon? See, whenever God's people have been taken captive, either literally or figuratively, they they have a tendency to blame the world for their problems. It is easy to cast blame on today's anti-Christian culture for the mess that we find ourselves in today. The Israelites were the same thing. They saw the problem that they were facing. Well, it was the Babylonian Empire. If only they could defeat this wicked empire, everything could be brought back to normalcy. We face the same danger today. We, we can blame the moral decadence of the culture today for all of our problems. But in reality, God's people are taken into captivity because of their own behavior, not that of society in general. Again, I want to go back to Erwin Lutzer's book, The Church in Babylon. Listen to what he said. The church did not lose its position of privilege simply because of evil enemies of the faith. We lost our position as part of God's judgment on our pride, our hypocrisy, our love of power, our prejudice, our bigotry, and failure to hold on to the truth. This is the way in which God gets people's attention. So we're not living in Babylon because of the wickedness of the lost world. We're not living in Babylon because of transgender ideology. We're here because of our sin 
and unwillingness to repent of it. We, we ended the summit as believers on our knees, some with tears, just confessing and asking God to forgive us of the sin on how we have failed to educate our, our children and grandchildren biblically over the decades before us. But second truth is, God has you and me where he wants us right now. I must confess that there are times when I, I want to just pack my bags and move to some remote island. I just want to get out of this mess. Other times, I long for another time when my faith wasn't constantly attacked and I could live my life in comfort. Of course, I, I quickly realized that there's no utopian place where I can escape the fallen world in which we live. There is a verse that has been quoted by quite a few people in recent months. It is something that Paul wrote in one of his letters to the church in Corinth. And when this verse is usually referred to, it is usually done so in the context of the quote-unquote racial issues of the day. And it's Acts 17.26 where it simply says, He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. It's a powerful verse that makes it clear that, guess what? There's only one race of people, the human race, everyone made in God's image. However, the rest of the verse is too often overlooked. See, the entire verse reads, He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. See, you and I, We're living in this country, or if you're listening in another country, you're living in your country, at this very period of history, because the eternal, omniscient God has predetermined this is when and where you and I should live. And this is where he wants us to fulfill his will for our lives. You and I are to advance God's kingdom right here, right now. So the third truth or question we've got to answer is, what does God expect of me? Well, God expects from me what he has always expected from his people. Consider what Paul went on to tell the Corinthian Christians. They should seek the Lord, find him, for in him we live live and move and have our being. That's 1 Corinthians 17, 27 through 28. See, God wants you and me to be his disciples right here, right now. However, this is where the rubber hits the road. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not an easy path to take, especially in today's hostile environment. The most common passage of Scripture referred to about what it takes to be a true disciple is found in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus clearly states what is required of each of us. He wrote, he said, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Luke 9.23 See, most Christians are very familiar with this verse. However, at the same time, very few believers want to obey it. God expects me to die to self every single day that I'm alive. This is especially challenging to do when living in a hostile anti-Christian society. When I am under attack, I want to defend myself and get even. 
Instead of reacting in this manner, God expects me to die to self. Then I must take up my cross each day as I follow him. It is noteworthy to understand that the cross I am to bear is not something that is placed on me. I have to voluntarily pick it up and carry it. See, facing ridicule and persecution from a lost world is not the cross that I have to bear. That is something that the world wants to put on me. I'm convinced that the cross that God wants us to bear in today's world is standing up and boldly declaring truth to everyone around us, especially to the next generation. See, that's something I pick up and I'm willing to do. In the introduction of an issue of The Voice of the Martyrs magazine, a writer named Cole Richards wrote the following. Most crosses are optional situations in which we must choose to pay a price out of obedience to Christ. Cole goes on uh, to explain how the crosses that Paul bore were not those of being in prison and beaten regularly. No, they were, and here's what he wrote. They were crosses that he chose to bear, many that he could have easily avoided, but choosing not to boldly proclaim Christ. Most persecuted Christians can avoid suffering for Christ by simply deciding to stop bearing witness to his truth. They face a daily temptation to avoid suffering through silence and inactivity. So what what do we conclude from all of this? It is difficult living in Babylon, but we are not alone because God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And not only is it important that we deny ourselves and daily pick up the cross, but that we become more intentional to train the next generation and prepare them for life here in Babylon. Let me let me sort of wrap it up with a, a quote from Richards in his editorial. Here's what he says. As biblical disciples, we are called to deliberately and repeatedly leave the security and comfort we are tempted to design for ourselves in order to embrace the cost of bearing witness to Christ to the lost around us. The truth of Christ is incompatible with corporate America's social agenda and so-called inclusive messaging. All of us, especially the young generation of Christians preparing to enter the workforce, need to prepare for the increasing cost of discipleship right here in the United States. It is no time for Christians to try and avoid suffering through silence and inactivity. We need to deliberately and boldly declare the truth of God's word to a lost and dying world. And, and what we've got to understand, that, that yeah, I, again, I have to reflect on the culture. It may even mean that Christian school educators have to go and take a stand uh, against what I consider just to be uh, a, a Christianized uh, image of of a secular school, where we take a secular school program and best practices and all those things that come from the world and say, oh, we're just going to Christianize this and we're going to be good. And, and we will be accepted that way. We won't run into a lot of difficulties. No, we got to boldly stand up and say, you know what? We're 
going to operate our schools on, on a biblical philosophy of education. We're going to put knowing Christ and, and knowing his word and knowing his will for our lives as top priorities, more than academic excellence, more than athletic uh, 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 you know, championships. We, we are going to go and be a distinctively kingdom-focused school. It means parents are going to have to stand up and raise their children in, in ways that many Christians are not raising their children. It means that church pastors are, have, are going to have to be bold and say, listen, our, our, our role, one of our roles as a church is to disciple parents so they can disciple their children, and we're going to make that an emphasis. There is a pastor that attended the, the summit last week. And after the summit, he came up to me and he says, I, I only have one, one piece of constructive criticism. And I sort of held my breath and said, sure thing, pastor, sure. And here's what he said. He said, you've got to be, quit being so kind to us, pastors. You need to hit us with the truth. We need to know this stuff. And he says, and, and now I'm going out of here and I want to find some, some kingdom education churches. He says, can you name any? And, and unfortunately, there were only a couple that I could name. And, and so what we've got to understand, this is a time to be bold. And, and you know, again, I wrote a lot of this material in some blogs more than a year, year and a half ago. But I hope as you listen to it, you realize, no, this is relevant to today, right now. So, so I want to challenge you. Don't, don't try to get out of Babylon. Accept the fact that God has you here in Babylon. And then say, okay, God, I am going to go and follow you completely. I'm going to stand on the truth of your word. And if it means I have to take up a cross to, to boldly declare truth, whether it comes to the education of children or marriage or, or uh, sexuality, I'm going to do that. I am willingly going to pick up that cross and follow you, Jesus. And may we, uh, as a body of believers, come together and, and try to capture this next generation of young people for Jesus Christ. May God bless you till we're together again on another episode of Kingdom Currents. Hey, I'm Alex Overall, media developer for Northwest Christian School, and I'm here to tell you about NCS's new Biblical Worldview online courses available to all high school students for transcript credit, regardless of whether they attend public school, private school, or homeschool. Frameworks is an exciting new initiative utilizing the learning management system of Grand Canyon University. For more information, visit BibleClassesForPublicSchools.com. 